Welcome back, Wildcats to Wildcat Radio, the most interesting podcast in the face, covering Arizona football, Arizona basketball, and Arizona recruiting news. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. You can follow us on our website, WildcatRadioAZ.com, and you can subscribe to the podcast for free on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Apple Podcasts, you name it. We are there. We're on Spotify now. We're on Spotify for all you people that are on Spotify. Uh, leave a review if you want. You got to do that on Apple Podcasts. Leave, leave happy reviews. I mean, like, you don't have to, but it'd be nice. It'd be nice. <laughs> leave, leave a cantankerous. We got a cantankerous five-star review, which is like, basically, I love this podcast. I hate the ones that are hosted by Bryant. <laughs> like, all right, that, fair enough. He gave us a five-star, so shout out to you. <laughs> well, I like it because that's funny because I am almost always on with you and that you, you, you're the one that was got the negative, like, shout out by name. Like, yeah, I'm driving the negative train here, but we, we, we wanted to change things up, so we're doing a menage a pod with uh, Mr. Rick Denice. What's going on, Rick? Hey, guys. What's going on? Dude, there is, there is a ton of stuff to talk about, and we're going to try to get to a decent amount of it. We're going to cover some Arizona basketball news. We're going to do some Arizona commitment news, and then we're going to head over to the Pac-12. And uh, in the last, I think, two weeks ago is the week after Ronnie and Adam, who are bringing the positive five-star review. So shouts to them. Oh, one thing. I wanted to give a give a head, heads up and a shout out to um, Adam Green, who just got picked up at AZ Desert Swarm. Like, very excited about that. Congratulations, Adam. Like, uh, like anytime somebody on wildcat radio it gets picked up somewhere else as like the best thing we could possibly do so um definitely follow him and his writing and all that stuff on az desert swarm we're really really stoked that he was able to uh connect with ryan and, and just get plugged in there so definitely check him out congratulations to him the podcast that we did before uh Adam and Ronnie's last podcast was, and I think, I think Adam's still doing podcasts with us. So you'll definitely continue yeah. to hear him and all that stuff. So, um, but, uh, that was a, uh, 12 pack radio podcast where we were going over, basically we're kind of going position by position, going through the, the pack 12 schools. And we did a quarterback preview of the starting quarterbacks. So this is going to be a continuation of that going into the quarterback battles, quarterback battles, uh, of Cal and UCLA and, or I don't know, UCLA, Cal and whatever the, the other schools, the other schools where there's going to be a quarterback battle. We're going to dive into them. The Washington schools. That's who it is. I promise you, we do know which ones we're going to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, some schools, Fresno state. Yeah. Fresno, which should be in the bad. San Diego state should replace Oregon state. I, I am full. I'm, I'm on the record <laughs> that they should replace Oregon state in the back 12. They're a back 12 school for all I care. Um, but before we get into the, any of that, let's talk some Arizona. You know what we should do? Let's do a Rick report. Yes. The Rick report. <laughs> And now, the Rick Report, brought to you by Wildcat Radio. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. Uh, to kick us off, the big basketball news of the week slash month, since it is June, um, is that Jordan Brown, uh, who originally was uh, looking at us for a as a finalist for recruiting last year and ended up going to the Nevada Wolfpack, is now headed uh, to the University of Arizona. So Sean Miller got his man. Uh, Jordan Brown is 6'11", 210 pounds, and uh, he had a you know a less than stellar um 
freshman year he had three points uh average three points 2.1 rebounds and half an assist on uh 50% field goal shooting he averaged about 10 minutes a game so what do you guys think about this so one one thing to mention though was he was stuck behind a stacked Nevada team I mean this is a team that won I think it was like 30 games um they didn't they kind of crash and burn in the tournament but uh i think that was one of the reasons people were confused why he ended up going to nevada because that was a, a program and a team that had significant players on it and uh so, so i'm not as deterred by the stats this was a mcdonald's all-american like you mentioned rick a five-star recruit uh i mean this is this is like look say what you want about Sean Miller. And we've certainly said a lot on this podcast, the guy gets it done on the recruiting trail. He continues to bring in talent. Like I, I just want to take a step back and appreciate the fact that in, in the wake of all of this bad news in the wake of the Schlabach report in the wake of all the ESPN piling on and all the negative recruiting, he has a top five recruiting class and is continuing to bring in players. Not that that won't even just help this year, but future years like Jordan Brown coming this year is a Jordan Brown. That's going to play for us in 2020 and 2021. And that's really exciting to me. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's almost no stopping Sean Miller at this point with, uh, well, there is everything. something, I mean, let's be, I mean, there, there is, oh, yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in theory, yes, there is the potential of something, but, uh, I think, you know, with he, he, Sean Miller feels a little Teflon at this point, right? Like he threw, threw it all. And, and with the potential of being called to testify and, you know, all of the potential really bad things that could happen and didn't, you know, Miller is still out there and just grinding on the recruiting trail and, and, and producing results. And I, I think, you know, landing Jordan Brown is, uh, is, is an excellent sign for the program, right? This is, this is definitely a player that, uh, I think can develop and, and can use some practice time and listen, not everybody out of high schools, you know, like is going to be a top scorer. And I think we tend to focus on that, particularly in college basketball. The other thing, Rick, and I, I want to kind of get your feel on this was it, chase Jeter was fine last year. I think teams kind of figured him out. And yeah. uh, I think we really need, like, I think Christian Coloco, who is a very promising project, but I, I do believe he's a project at Arizona. We're going to need some big bodies there. And it's really nice to get somebody that not only gives you some size, but also shows some recruits like, hey, it's it's OK to commit to Arizona even after the uncertainty, uh, which, you know, I think a lot of people. If, if you think Arizona is going to get hammered, it's probably going to be next year. And the fact that yep. Jordan Brown's still committed and was going to pl- and is going to play next year is a really, really encouraging sign for other players to come to Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think what's been fascinating is to read, um, you know, some of the insiders regarding recruiting and even some stuff up on the, uh, you know, at the athletic in terms of talking to these recruits and trying to figure out, you know, how this scandal, um, you know, nationwide has really impacted or, or affected, you know, a lot of these kids. And, and I don't think it really has. I mean, from from all indications, um, they aren't worried about what is you know, potentially coming down the pipe. They aren't worried about. Um, you know, what potential sanctions um, could be facing the U of A, including, um, you know, loss of, uh, you know, going to the NCAA tournament. So I think that there's a lot to be said for, you know, the angle that Sean Miller's, um, you know, playing and, and also, you know, the additions to the coaching staff recently um, to help support that. Um, I will say that I think you look at this recruiting class that they've tied up for 2019. That's that basically just landed um, this week. And when you look at Zeke Njai and and how much, 
um, great press he's getting, especially with USA basketball. Um, I think that, you know, he potentially could be gone next year and there you have Jordan Brown kind of waiting in the wings to kind of fill in. Um, and, and I would see that Terry Armstrong and Christian Coloco will probably be more long-term projects. So I think it's a really, really good fit at a position of need, um, that's going to pop up in 20, uh, 2021, um, and 2020. And I think that there's going to, uh, to potentially be, um, a lot of playing time, a lot of growth for Jordan Brown here at the U of A. Okay. I got a history lesson for you guys. The ancient Romans, uh, when their army was out of whack, if there was a discipline problem, if they lost a battle and they survived, they would do this thing. It was called the decimation. And this is where the word comes from. Like, Oh, they, the, the, so-and-so was decimated by this, <laughs> this tornado. <laughs> yes. and, the, and the decimation was basically they would draw straws and one, 10 people would, you know, basically pick a, pick a straw. And the person that got the short straw would basically be killed. They'd pick one out of every 10 persons and then just <laughs> kill them. And, uh, that's kind of what's going on with Arizona with our scholarship. Like we're have a decimation game right here where we have one too many scholarships and and who's gonna who's gonna be the person that sh- that draws the short straw, Rob? Uh, well, we were talking about this a little bit before, and and I think Rick's right. You know, it's it's Dylan Smith and and maybe Alex Barcelo. I I, I would lean towards not not pushing Barcelo out simply because he's a Phoenix kid and we might want to keep those recruiting relationships going. But um, it's it's hard, I, I think, in particular when you look at Dylan Smith for a guy that you know came in, transferred in, was looked at as potentially a guy that could at least add some useful depth. And now because, you know, Sean Miller's recruiting has been so good, you know, at, at this point is superfluous. It, Barcelo strikes me as like, I don't know if you ever watched Breaking Bad, but the Gale character, the guy that's just like, man, I, I really like Heisenberg. He's a good guy. And just, you know, I, I love it here. New Mexico is great. I'm making good money and I'm happy with my life. And like everybody is out to get him. Um, that, that strikes me as Alex Barcelo. He's, he's from all accounts, really good guy. Um, I think he's tried hard. He certainly loves it in Tucson. Um, again, like he's an in-state product. I would I would be really sad if he was the person that got the boot from this program uh, just because he's, you know, like it seems like he cares. He just really wants to be in Tucson. He's like, I love it. Dude. This is a great the University of Arizona is a wonderful place to be. Um, I would be more in favor of Dylan Smith, but that's also bad because he took a year off to come to Arizona. Uh, but he clearly doesn't have the talent, I think. Um, that was anticipated when he came in as a grad transfer. He was the top scorer at, I think, is UNC Asheville and just really hasn't put it together. I don't know, Rick, who, who, I mean, there's also this recruiting class. Like, I know that Terry Armstrong had wiped all of his Arizona, um, basically information from his social media accounts for a while. And then he's, and then he just recently said that he's coming back. So it's possible that it could be somebody else, maybe Christian Coloco, who's kind of the lowest guy on the totem pole, I think in regards to um, his talent. And that now, of course we bring in a big guy that can play, play, maybe not in the post, but like around the post. So I don't know. What do you think? I look at, I mean, if we're talking between Dylan Smith and Alex Barcelo, you know, I I think I'm in favor of Alex Barcelo based on the fact that I think he's a better uh, on-ball defender. um, And especially for that that one-two or that combo guard spot, I think that he can fill in um, and have some loose minutes there. And I think he showed his stuff this year, this past year, um, with some tougher defensive matchups. And and I think he really has improved as a defender, um, especially over Dylan Smith, uh, when you're basically looking at two guys that are kind 
kind of sharing the same responsibility. The other thing that's been, you know, I think a, a little bit disappointing with Alex is, you know, really you depended on him to come in and be a three point shooter. Um, and when you look at his stats last year, I mean, he was at 29.2%, which is uh, basically the lowest on the team um, out of, out of everybody. So, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to figure out, you know, what role he's going to play if he decides to stay. But um, I would say Alex has more to bring to the table at this point. And, um, you know, something that you guys have brought up is that recruiting pipeline from the Phoenix area and the fact that, you know, we can continue to go get guys like DeAndre Ayton um, and Alex Barcelo and then, you know, uh, superstars from the past, such as Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson. And it's really been a nice pipeline to keep ASU out of. So um, I'd be interested to see kind of what they do with those two. There's always a surprise, you know, as you stated with Terry Armstrong and, um, you know, potentially Christian Coloco. But I look at those two as more long-term projects. And I think that Sean Miller, while he's great at recruiting and and kind of refilling the pipeline um, year after year, you, you still need a couple of those long-term projects to kind of fill in and, and be, you know, role players that could eventually fill into your, your top seven, your top eight. So we'll have to see. But um, I think it'll be pretty interesting coming here down the stretch over the next month to uh, figure out how it all shakes out. The one thing I don't know is if Dylan Smith would be a grad transfer. I don't think that's the case. I'd have to go back. Do you guys know? I don't believe. I don't know. I I don't believe he graduated. That's a frowny face. Because um, <laughs> that'd be the easy one. Like, hey, like go get go get a bunch of minutes somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, I I mean he's a, he was a he's a junior um, or he was a junior, but I don't think that he had enough credits to graduate. So, well, we'll bummer. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see who it ends ends up being. But um, you know, long term vision really good for the program. Really nice to have somebody that goes into 2020 and 2021. Uh, Rick, we also had a couple other commits on the football side, right? Yep, we sure did. So uh, the first one is going to be Josh Baker, um, and he's a three-star out of Eureka, Missouri. He had offers from um, Memphis, Illinois and Northern Illinois. Um, so, you know, some mid-major schools. Um, and Josh comes in as um, a recruit by... Um, by the way, wait, 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 hold on. Rod yeah. Smith who former offensive coordinator of Arizona is offended that you would call Illinois a mid-major program. Rick. How dare you? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Illinois, you know, Illinois can, they can, they can put all the, uh, all the, the Twitter um, marketing up that they want, but I'm, until Illinois gets into that, you know, top third, top, even the top half, um, I'm going to call them a mid-major still. Well, so Lovey Smith's beard is high major. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you haven't just stop what you're doing right now and just go Google a recent picture of Lovey Smith because his beard, Beard is aces. <laughs> yeah, and he so. made it to a Super Bowl. How many Super Bowls has uh, you know has Kevin <laughs> Sumlin made it to? You know what? Still go find that Maction. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, but this kid, you know, we talk about the lines, and and I think the lines is a major major position of need this year. And you're looking at a kid that's six three, two hundred eighty pounds. Um, you know, has has fared fairly well. I think his tape um is is pretty solid. I mean, he's you know he moves well. His hands are are pretty solid. Um, and I think this is a big get, especially for us going in um to the heart of Big Ten country, basically and pulling out a kid who I think they can develop and, and have, um, you know, really, really strong presence, um, you know, a couple of years down the road. All right. So, we think so full yeah. disclosure, I, I like to think of myself as a reasonably smart person, I suppose. <laughs> I 
<laughs> at le- like, at oh. least you're not saying I'm the smartest person I know. That's a, that's a- no, you should never say. Also, I I know that one's not true. <laughs> I, I've been in the room with some people whose IQ like boils water, and you're just like, oh my god, like please don't ask me any questions. And none of those people um, are at Illinois football. I can tell you that. No, <laughs> none of them are. <laughs> so um, I was looking at the kids' offer list, and uh, I was like, oh, uh, what are what are these schools? Is where Kyle Devan used to coach. Um, and I just, I put two and two together and I was like, oh, I bet he was being recruited by Devan and his, his prior stop. And Devan just thought, you know, that he could actually play, you know, was worthy of a power five shot. So I tweeted that out and Josh Baker liked my tweet. So. Oh, hey, there we go. Super sleuth so, Rob. I know. Like, oh, ho, ho. conclusion confirmed. Um, so, <laughs> this is a guy that Devan had a, I mean, had a relationship with before, it seems. And, um, you know, thought, you know, thought, you know, had had power five level talent. And I mean, I I think that, uh, that, that Baker certainly can come in and, and contribute. And if Devan, like you, you have to trust your offensive line coach. If he thinks if he can develop him, then, you know, like he's the guy that you hired to do it yeah and i think on the i think we talked about this on the 12 pack radio podcast rob but our new offensive line coach was a very highly regarded offensive line guy at ball state and got basically a title bump and a money bump to just to stay there right rather than bounce to say arizona and be their offensive line coach yeah i mean in the same way that if you went through like oregon staff directory and you're like joe salavea you know assistant head coach right like with a, a pretty sizable salary but he's the defensive line coach um devan got that at ball state because they really wanted to keep him around because he was a big part of what they were doing that worked oh far out rick you got anything else to say on him uh no i'm good okay who's the other cat we got all right, so the other guy we got committed is uh, Cedric Melton out of Houston, Texas. Um, offers to Texas Tech, Memphis, Houston, Colorado State, um, and a couple others. So this kid stands 6'5", uh, 262. Right now he's listed as a defensive tackle in the state of Texas. Um, what do you guys think? I mean, a little light um, for you know what we're looking for on the defensive line, but you know potentially could be a hybrid. I, I view and you know if he puts on another I don't know 20 30 pounds maybe a uh, a solid rush in his picture on I think I'm looking at go easy cats he looks like he's 14 <laughs> he looks real but, but it's only a headshot it's not like the body shot I mean obviously he's, he's 262 <laughs> what do you think guy, but I thought they were recruit, recruiting this guy as an offensive lineman yeah Oh, they are. Yeah, you're right. Never mind. Sorry. No, 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 no. I mean, no, he may be listed as a defensive lineman, but I thought Arizona was recruiting him on the O-line. You're right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, I guess when it comes down to it, they could figure out where they want to use him once he gets on campus. But yeah, offensive tackle seems to be what um, they're looking at him for. No, I just, I wanted to confirm that before I said something really stupid. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to say something stupid because I confirmed it. Um, but yeah, like this is a guy. I, I think some when, when people looked at Baker and then this commit, I think people said like ah, three stars, and they're not wrong. Like stars matter, and I, I mean, I, I I explain this to people on Twitter all the time. Stars matter; they're highly correlated with on-field for performance. But if there's one place where stars can get a little iffy it's offensive line like projecting offensive linemen is hard um and i like this guy's size like if he's got good feet and that frame uh and you can add some weight and coach him up like absolutely he could work out like yeah i think that was what give me all the big give me all the big frames you can get 
Yeah, that was like the big thing about Jordan Morgan, right? Out of uh, Marana was uh, who ended up getting the USC offer a little bit later in the recruitment cycle was the fact that he had the frame and he kind of had. It, it reminded me of like when people were like, oh, that puppy has big feet. You know, like <laughs> that was kind of like his frame. It was this big guy that definitely you could see him adding, you know, 20 to 40 more pounds of just like, you know, over the course of a number of years. The other thing that gets me excited about uh, Melton is the fact that he has the Texas Tech offer. Um, he has an offer from Houston and he's from Texas. So, you know, the more people that we can just pull from that area, I think is better laying the foundation for more players to come from Texas, which, of course, was like the biggest problem for about I don't know five years at the University of Arizona, yeah. <laughs> and 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 guys, I'll I'll add too, and and uh, I didn't get a whole lot of time to kind of look at his film and and take a look, but just in looking while you guys were talking, I mean, he's got some great feet, and and honestly, they run a lot of fly sweeps, um, and also um, you know a lot of outside power, and he gets he gets outside and he drives well, so um, you know it seems to be that you know they're going after you know some of these kids like you had alluded to Jordan Morgan's another one where if you can get a guy that basically can grow into that frame but already has kind of that footwork and and that athleticism then uh, you can really build a solid uh, you know offensive lineman so it'll be interesting to see how he turns out he's a little bit more of a project but you know then again uh, you know I think uh, something that they could really work work with and and uh, you know potentially could be a starter here in a couple years all right my, my apologies to Cedric Melton and the Melton family there is a automatic video popping up of highlights of him and with his helmet off and he no longer looks like he's 14. So maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe ask a rivals to get a new picture there. Cedric. <laughs> it doesn't do you justice. You look like, like a man. It's his, it's his eighth grade yearbook photo that they've got up there. They're like, they're like, and he, he offended someone and they're not taking it down. <laughs> the only thing that the, the totally sidetrack here for a moment, the thing that drives me nuts with these recruiting sites, particularly on basketball, it seems to be basketball players where they all have these little tiny backpacks on and the backpacks look, make them look even more childish because they're so big and the backpack is so small. And then they're, they're glaring into the, you know, the camera like, Oh, this is your picture for rivals. And you know, they're like looking all, mean and stuff and they have this little tiny it might as well be a hello kitty backpack on you like that's how silly it makes some of these recruits look i just that just drives me nuts when it comes to basketball recruiting but that's neither here nor there uh do we have any other arizona specific coverage to talk about i i think that's it on my end rob no no i think we covered it okay Okay. let's play a game the, the uh, and, and we'll keep it. We, we won't make this Arizona centric. All right. Um, the so USA Today announced and the NCA has basically confirmed that there are six schools facing allegations of level one violations. Um, and these are high profile basketball programs in the NCA Division one. And they said that two of these schools are going to be announced by July. So six schools, two by July. Um Level one violations are bad. Rob, I don't know how bad they are. What are we talking about level one violations? So level one, level one violations are the kind of violations that you get hit with, you know, postseason suspensions and reduced scholarships with, right? Like, so a level, and I mean, if with a level one violation, you can get show cause penalties attached to coaches. Um, so those are the, the these are the, the most serious ones, the kinds that sort of like, there are all kinds of smaller NCAA violations that no one really pays much attention to in the national media. The kinds of violations that people tend to pay attention to and get more coverage are the level one type violations. Okay. Not good. Now in, to be very clear, these are allegations of level one violations. These are not 
level one violations. Basically, they're kind of opening up. A bo- a, basically, they're opening the book on these these schools. So, can we, Rick and Rob and myself, can we name all six teams that will be <laughs> that will be announced? <laughs> should we Should we go one by one? Yes, I think that would be. Oh. Uh, l- l- and and well. Rick, you start since you haven't been uh, you haven't dove into this as much as we have. Okay, I will. Uh, I'll start out with, um, you know, I guess since they got their basketball offices rated, uh, the Kansas Jayhawks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good bet. Now, th- <laughs> and they're probably one of the July ones, right? I would think so. I mean, it it's it doesn't get much more serious than that when the uh, FBI comes calling and are literally at your doorstep, right? <laughs> yeah, when your bag man texts you, <laughs> "Yo, Hall of Famer, <laughs> I got your back." Uh, that's, well, that's and, not and, and they already had to classify TJ Gasanola as a booster yeah. for NCAA purposes. Very, mm. very bad. Very bad. Okay. Rob, you got number two. Who do you think that, well, let, let's make it more difficult for you. Who's the second school that's going to be announced by July? It's Louisville. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, the, the, some of this is that it's timing, which, which, which schools, you know, were, were done with the court stuff the soonest and Louisville and Kansas, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, you, you only have one chance to make a first impression, so I'll take Arizona because everybody's, <laughs> um, I think Arizona is one of them. Okay. And then, um, you know, I, gosh, I, I look at like an LSU or a USC. Am I, am I totally off base there? Cause I know you guys have covered this a lot more heavily. No, no, no. L- LSU is coming. Like, okay. Wait. Will Wade, Will Wade made a strong ass offer. I'm <laughs> yeah, throwing, it's still out there. I'm, I'm throwing my chips in the middle and going LSU. Okay, so we got we're at four LSU. What do you think, Rob? Who, what's number five? Uh, I mean, I, some of these are going to be those assistants that took money, right? I mean, I I think I, I think USC is, is is going to get going to be in there. Yeah, I think since I have six, I think it's going to be. It's it's either going to be Auburn or Maryland, and I think like uh, the honorable mention goes to South Carolina, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's going to be Maryland because Maryland had some like cash allegations. I mean, it was like, hey, our booster definitely paid this player, so let's let's do Maryland. Okay, so it'll be interesting to come. We'll come back to this when the schools get announced and see if we got it. Yeah. Guys, can I ask one question? And and this might be beating a dead horse based off of all the coverage that we've provided. But, um, you know, I've, I've been reading a lot lately that, you know, there potentially could be um, the NCA looking at lack of an institutional control scenario. And I just don't see how that's possible in, in any stretch of the imagination, considering some of these schools are the largest cash cows the NCAA has. Do you guys think that's on the table at all um, for any of these first six? Go ahead, Rob. I, I, I'm curious. I mean, <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I, I think, I think that there are certain, I think that there are certain schools that are going to come up for lack of institutional control. I think Kansas could be one um, because I think that the pervasiveness of the relationship that was exposed in court between Bill Self and T.J. Gasanola, um, the NCAA was certainly taking notes on that. Um, but if and I think, and I don't. Arizona should be worried about lack of like lack of institutional control, not just because of what came out in this case, but the other additional stuff that has also happened recently. Um, 
you know, the Mark Phelps, you know, like that's, that's stuff's going to come back. Like the, the NCAA hasn't ruled on any of that, that that's the stuff that can come back to haunt you and say, you know, even if you can't pin anything on Sean Miller, the collective sort of like, Oh my gosh, look at where your assistants have been running around doing, you know, head coaches are responsible for that um, through a change in the NCAA rules. So it is, with Arizona, there's enough evidence about more than one assistant, and that's problematic. Um, but lack of institutional control isn't like a – when they throw that one at you, it's it's definitely bad, um, and it can compound your penalties. Uh, but, it, like, nobody's going to be facing, like, the death penalty or something like we're that. Not, we're not talking about an SMU situation. Right, right. Yeah. Like, lack of institutional control doesn't bring in, like, uh, I'm sorry, basketball's done for three years. It'll be, it, like, if you got a lack of institutional control in basketball, I mean, they might cut you by three or four scholarships and ban you from the postseason. If we got one, like, if we got one season post, you know, one postseason ban in, like, 2020 – and two scholarships a year, like you take that, right? I mean, I'm <laughs> sure, oh, well, whatever. In a heartbeat. <laughs> it's like, all right, <laughs> let's get off this topic. Uh, I was trying to make it a little lighter because you know we've we've got we've gone to the the dark dark depths of uh, of yeah. Tucson. So, but Arizona fans should like. I mean, I I'm 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 not necessarily hoping that Arizona is like included right off the bat or something like that, but. I mean, at the very least, we it would get to the point where if we got a notice of allegations from the NCAA, we would at least know what was out there and what we were going to get charged with. And it wouldn't be this sort of constant like drip, drip, drip and like, you know, like, you know, waiting game. But that makes for good serial podcast, Rob. Come on, let's let's uh, let's let's keep number one. You know what? Our bread is better. It has not always worked in our favor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Let's let's get off Arizona and let's uh, let's talk about some of the Pac-12 news and these uh, quarterback battles. So let's let's start by going through a little bit of news in the Pac-12. I think the really big thing that hit and we had actually talked about this uh, you had your little crystal ball out rob and you had talked about the possibility that a transfer from washington a quarterback transfer because they had the 17 jakes and they had colson Yankoff um, and all these people would finally make their way possibly to another pac-12 school and we had talked specifically about ucla because the uh, dorian thompson robinson <laughs> um, and lo and behold uh, colson Yankoff has committed to ucla and uh Uh, He won't push for the position this year, but he will certainly push Thompson Robinson in 2020. Yeah, and this is this is the first real uh, bearing fruit of the new Pac-12 transfer rules that uh, you no longer have that sort of punishment year in residence in addition to the transfer year. So it used to be that a transferring interconference in the Pac-12 cost you two years. Um, Now it's just down to the normal one. So. Um, this is this is actually, I think, a good thing for the conference. You know, having USC players transfer to play at Pitt instead of transfer to playing at Oregon State, I think, uh, was bad uh, in the long run. But USC, USC, I mean, UCLA in this case definitely needed the quarterback depth, uh, you know, for the future and to, to potentially push Dorian Thompson Robinson um, and also uh, like provide some backup for him. But the uh, you know, I, I totally understand leaving. Uh, leaving Washington if your name isn't Jake because you clearly don't fit in in the QB room like I (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny because there were two quarterbacks that were going to transfer from Washington two four-star quarterbacks that decided to transfer out one of which was named Jake 
he decided not to leave, and he's back at Washington. That's naturally. how they kept. That's how they kept him along. Right. <laughs> uh, Rick, you know, were, were you a Dorian Thompson Robinson fan? I know it's kind of hard. Like you don't want to pile on to true freshman. Well, I, I definitely think having those two quarterbacks at, in that UCLA QB room is is um, a, a huge advantage. Um, you know, the recent stuff that's come out about Chip Kelly that I think has left UCLA fans somewhat disconcerted regarding, um, you know, potentially the player relationships uh, with the coach. Um, I obviously, you know, getting somebody like Yankoff, um, that, that whatever uh, bad blood currently exists, um, whether or not that's fabricated or um, that's, that's truthful. Um, Yankoff sees this as an opportunity to come in, compete right away in a year um, and, and, you know, really take the reins on this program. And, and, you know, at six four two oh nine, I mean, dual threat quarterback. He's a prototypical guy that you want to have at a program like UCLA um, and, and see if he can flourish. And, you know, I think Thompson Robinson, this is going to be a big year for him. And and I think a big year for Chip Kelly um, to kind of figure out how they can develop him um, into a more efficient passer. And, and you know, we, we knew that he had, um, you know, legs and, and, you know, he had some escapability there. But I think um, from that passing game standpoint, you know, if they don't open that up and, and you know, obviously they're not stockpiling you know, four and five star guys currently, um, you know, they're going to have a, a long, long couple of years. So I think this was a big get by, by them to kind of um, reverse some of the bad, um, I guess, press that's been out there, you know, within the last week, uh, week and a half. And um, this is really, I would say almost the biggest pickup in Chip Kelly's uh, tenure at UCLA. Number nine, dual threat quarterback in the class of 2018. He had offers from Oregon, Mississippi, Missouri, or uh, I said Oregon, <laughs> TCU, Tennessee, Texas Tech, uh, Washington State. So pretty big list of offers. And, you know, let's all calm down about these quotes about Chip Kelly. I just think that, look, when when you have uh, when you when you're able to say whatever you want and without repercussion, I think that there's just always going to be some disgruntled people that are going to be out there, you know, talking. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that narrative continues as we go along. I would do one counterpoint though. I have to that is it. I'm a huge believer where there's smoke, there's fire. And when you look at the relationships that he hasn't been able to build on the recruiting trail and his staff hasn't been able to build, you know, that's, that's gotta be a little bit disconcerting, especially with the way the UCLA brand is kind of held up through a lot of rough periods, especially under Guerrero, um, you know, being, you know, a less than stellar AD. So, um, I'm interested to see that. I mean, like I said, this is a big year for UCLA to kind of figure it out and, uh, and, and, you know, potentially be either a launch point or it's a uh, you know press the panic button you know midway through the year type of season rick so. everybody knows that ucla only recruits on holidays it's flag day <laughs> valentine's day that's when they're out on the trail so you gotta cut them some slack here <laughs> uh, um anything else on uh, colson i got his name right Suck on that. Got his name right. Um, it was recruiting week. There was like a gazillion people. I have all these notes. This is all my notes on Arizona, uh, not Arizona, but Pac-12 recruits. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of them, but there are a couple of them that I, that I want to highlight on the basketball front. Oregon got a pair of transfers. The first is Rutgers' former captain, a 6'7", 234-pound, 234-pound forward. He averaged 13.8 points and 7.2 rebounds. And then they got a New Mexico grad transfer in Anthony Mathis, who was also their top scorer, um, averaged 14.4 points a game, two rebounds, two assists, shot from three, uh, 41%, which is fairly good. And just goes to show you, Rob, you leave Dane Altman any space and he's going to snag any piece. Like, he's the guy 
going through the you know the, the guy hits the pinata and there's candy you know everywhere like he's the one that's that's follow, finding it after all the kids have come through um, i just love the fact that he's able to put together these classes over and over and over again and like i had some worries about oregon basketball they had a great year last year obviously um but then you get the return to peyton pritchard and uh, an influx of talent uh even though a lot of people had left for the draft and graduated and stuff and here we are again like oregon's gonna have a good team yeah, absolutely. I mean, you with Pritchard coming back in particular, you like this team. Mathis can really shoot, so that should help with their floor spacing for for the Ducks. Uh, I yeah, I, I like these additions to a Dana Altman coach team, even though Dana Altman is not my favorite. Bobby Hurley, two year extension at ASU for taking him to the tournament yet again. Um, look, I, you can say all you want about his his off on the field or on the court uh, mannerisms and actions and all that stuff. I do think he's good for the conference. And the fact that he's getting ASU uh, not only to see it, it, definitely not like hardcore success in the tournament yet, but the fact that that influx of talent is significantly better than it was under her uh, Sendek. And and Rick, keep in mind, we are on the 12 pack radio podcast right now. So what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. I would say that, you know, playing games don't necessarily count um, in, in, in being the, in the tournament. But that's, uh, you know, that's a partisan opinion, I guess. Um, I You know, you look at what he's been able to do, especially with the recruiting coming in um, in pulling, you know, a, a couple uh, four star guys, some some high, I would say mid to high three star guys, um, you know, and, and really, you know, he's really captured that program. And I think done a lot with kind of the car that he's been dealt and um and it's exciting it's it's good to have a solid rivalry in the desert again and it's good that um you know you've got other programs outside of you know the traditional powers which i would say ucla um in arizona and and you know now you have oregon kind of coming up um you know kind of take taking the reins and carrying that for the conference and as we've seen over the past couple years um, where the pac-12 has been extraordinarily weak because we've lost a, a ton of talent to the nba um, I think that that ASU has a, a definitive shot at continuing to kind of move up the scale and, you know, maybe get to that first week and maybe get to that second weekend here in the next three years um, with the way that Hurley has them going. So um, it's exciting. And, and I think it's a really great thing for the conference. A couple more items of note. Oregon State had a nice haul. They had four players commit last week. Uh, the Really, the gem was Travis Shippen, the number three JUCO defensive end in the country. He had offers from Arizona. Oregon and Utah. You had uh, uh, Cody Shear transferred from Oregon over to ASU. ASU had, I think, three or four offensive linemen commits uh, this past week. So shout out to them. And Rob, let, let's let's close with the bang here. Two five star former. Uh, not commits. I guess, yeah, former commits because <laughs> they came from Florida and Texas uh, are now moving over to the uh, University of Southern California. The latest one being five star cornerback Chris Steele and Clay Helton got a lot of crap for not recruiting well this last uh, recruiting class. And actually, if you look at it, I'm doing their preview. I'm going like, oh, my God, where are their secondary players going to come from? Well, here's one right here. Chris Steele, another five star player who adds to the talent that they have that can hopefully step in and contribute immediately. Yeah, he's likely going to have to sit with the transfer. Brew McCoy uh, may have to sit because he uh, because he did enroll at Texas this past uh, this past spring. Um, but Brew McCoy, the the transfer saga has ended. Um, 
you know, that Tom Herman did not buy a nice enough gift basket for his visit to try to convince Brew McCoy to come back to Texas. Um, and, and he's, he's going to come back to USC where he originally started out with in, in the spring before going to Texas. So he'll, he'll, he should, I would expect he gets a waiver. It's kind of a weird situation, but he never really played for anyone besides just doing some practice with Texas. Chris Steele, uh, he was actually supposed to be going to Oregon. Um, he has a close relationship with, uh, Dante Williams, the, uh, Oregon secondary coach, but, uh, his, he did an interview and in the, at the athletic had a nice write up on this. So if you're an Oregon fan and you're mad at this, this kid deciding not to come to Oregon and going to USC, he's actually from LA. Um, he was all set to go to Oregon and his mother lost her job. Um, so there's some financial hardship and he wanted to make sure that his mom was still able to watch him uh, play. So instead he's going to play at USC, but he'll, he'll have to sit this season with the transfer rules. So yeah. there's, there's still questions, uh, at USC. Is, is this the Greg Johnson year? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying that, by the way, I, I forgot. I was mixing him up with uh, McCoy, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting. So I'm really excited to have Alicia de Artola on in the coming weeks because she really um, did an excellent job breaking down the USC program on another podcast. Uh, our friends at the Quack 12 and Hithliday did a really good interview with her. So, And I, I have so many questions about the secondary to ask her. So, uh, But I am glad that Steele's going to play uh, in the future with them because they definitely need some more talent because that last recruiting class, whoo, buddy, not, not up to the USC standards. Um, but let's get into these quarterback battles here. And Rick, we have, we have four teams for you. Maybe five. I can't count. Oregon State, Cal, Washington State, Washington and ASU, where would you like to begin? Um, you know, let's start with Washington. Cause I think it boils down, um, to one guy and one guy only, but we're still going to discuss. So I was really surprised about this and I had talked with our friends at the dog pod because obviously like Jacob Eason is going to be like the likely starter, the transfer from Georgia, former five-star player. I think he came out of the state of Washington, um, came in with some, uh, a lot of accolades, but you know, there's a little bit of grumbling out of camp right now. I, I don't think he's at this, the level that they had anticipated him to be, but likely at a, at a pretty good level. That seems like the reports that I'm reading. But my question was the fact that I thought that Jacob Sermon was going to be the number two behind him. And it seems like Jake, uh, Jake Hayner, who is another Jake uh, and the less touted Jake, he was the number 21 pro style quarterback of 2017, whereas Jake Sermon was the number seven pro style quarterback at a 2018. Um, looks like he's jumped him and that surprised me a little bit Rob I, I was uh, I was uh, I, I, like it's funny because I asked our friends at the dog pie I said hey is this true it does you know because it's interesting and they immediately responded yes because you have eyes and you saw the Washington versus Cal game and yeah. of course <laughs> the terrible terrible pick that he threw that cost them the game that, that whole game was a total mess I might have stabbed something in my eyes as I was watching it but I do remember that pick <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and Sermon, he, he decided to stay at Washington, but he he and Yankoff out of the the spring quarterback battle were 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 in the transfer portal to leave because they they uh, they have a, tout, a pretty highly touted guy Dylan Morris that just came in as a freshman and with Hayner and Eason sort of solidified ahead of them on the depth chart, you know, the the, the writing was pretty clear on the wall, um, but Sermon didn't really. I mean, it's there there are a lot more. There are a lot more people entering the transfer portal than there necessarily are roster spots available out there. And he I don't think he was really able to find anything that he was looking for out there. Um, so he's back. Um, Hayner, it, it does look like Eason. All the talk was um, 
that Easton was great on the scout team and that he was developing. He had some development to do. I mean, he didn't have a Trevor Lawrence type season in his freshman year at Georgia. Um, you know, his, his stats are a little more comparable to JT Daniels stats at USC last season, I would say as a true freshman. Um, and you can see why Jake Fromm kind of came in and beat him out, but he should have, and I, from all conversations that we've had, you know, from the folks at Washington and what we've heard out of practice is he, he had developed and he, he had taken a step forward. I would still expect Eason to start, but it's been closer than we thought. Yeah, as a true freshman, 204 completions, 370 attempts, 55% completion rate, 2,400 yards, 16 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. Your thoughts, Rick? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at this battle, and and I think you guys pretty much covered it, but, you know, Jacob Eason is the presumed starter um, to kind of fill in and, and, you know, take the reins on this. And, you know, coming from Georgia, you would expect that SEC experience to, uh, you know, really transfer well to the Pac-12. And I kind of, you know, obviously he sat out and he he was on scout team and kind of got some runs with, you know, some of those guys that were either redshirting or, or, you know, very low on the depth chart in terms of, uh, you know, their wide receiver core. And, you know, you look at it over the summer, you know, I think that timing will get better. I think that there's, there's got to be market improvement, um, you know, going from, you know, the scout team to being thrust basically into that first team quarterback position. And, you know, I would look for him to, to make a lot of improvements in that fall camp and, and, um, you know, really step, step up and assert himself with that. Now, you know, when you look at the rest of that roster, as you guys alluded to, there's a lot of talent there and, and you know that, um, you know, whoever ends up being that third, fourth guy down there is probably going to look into that jump in that transfer portal next year. So um, it'll be really fascinating to kind of see, um, you know, how it plays out and, and you know, basically whether Hayner or Sermon kind of assert themselves as that number two. Um, and, you know, obviously the the difference with, with both of them uh, from a talent level standpoint, or at least from the offers that they garnered is quite a bit. But, you know, when you get to college and, and you know, you see how that development at the next level is handled. Handled. Um, you know, I think that there there's it's always a wild card and, and especially with quarterbacks, you just kind of never know what you're going to get. Um, I would say 90 percent of the time. So, yeah. And Dylan Morris, the number five quarterback, in the 2019 class offers from Oregon, Notre, St- Notre Dame. And it's interesting. I keep throwing Wazoo in like when Mike Leach like says, <laughs> hey, I want that guy. I, I always see that as a good sign. You want those air raid. Uh, those air raid coaches kind of picking and choosing who they want on their program. So uh, quite interesting. Absolutely. And Washington's going to be so stacked for so long. Like that, that program is, is on a, on a good trajectory. I know they're losing a lot on defense. Uh, that will be uh, definitely a question mark moving and moving forward. But like when you're taking a look at their offensive line and the recruiting classes they just brought in, in addition to their quarterbacks that they have, it's just, uh, I think any other program in the PAC 12, aside from maybe Oregon, <laughs> who just, just destroyed the recruiting trail this last year uh, would want to be in, their position um all right where else you want to go rick um let's shoot uh across the state to washington state guys ah okay so it's gauge gubrood gubrood <laughs> not gubrood i looked it up I, I i like looked up eight different youtube versions of them they all pronounce them incorrectly <laughs> so <laughs> but, uh, so th- this is interesting obviously washington state loses are are just the hero of this program the the mustache man himself uh he takes off and uh who, who did he get drafted by was it jacksonville jacksonville yep oh, yeah very excited about that um so we have that, another- that mustache is very north florida 
<laughs> that is that is true. <laughs> good, good call. Um, so Garud is a 6'2", 205 Eastern Washington grad transfer. I love the fact that he came in to the Palouse and beat Washington State his freshman year. So shouts to him. Um, you know, one of those uh, those string of Division two schools that came in and uh, just stuck it to Washington State. You know, interesting stats with him: his career uh, almost ten thousand yards throwing, sixty four percent completion, eighty seven touchdowns. 32 interceptions, but when you think of Washington State and you think of Mike Leach and you take a look at what this guy did in, two, in 2016, um, 387 completions, seven, uh, 67% completion rate, 5,000 yards, 48 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, and 606 yards on the ground. That is like... I mean, is that good? They, that that's might good, be right? good. That's like that's like me playing NCAA football. I mean, that's how good it is, really. But <laughs> um, the big the big problem here, guys, is that Gabrud hurt himself in spring ball and really kind of had to sit out. Basically, uh, the the I don't know if it was the. F- I don't know if he did it immediately, but at least half of spring he was out. And that allowed somebody like Anthony Gordon and Trey Tinsley, these two redshirt seniors, to at least show what they can do. And if you take what Mike Leach says, and I never take what Mike Leach says as full truth, um, they both were really pushing um, – uh, uh, oh, my gosh. who Who is our hero? <laughs> What's his name? Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew. Oh, my gosh. I like totally yeah. a total brain fart there. Um, he said that they were pushing Gardner Minshew – um, last year. I don't know if that's the case, but this is just an interesting scenario. I still think it's going to be Gabrud, but what do you think here, Rob? I, so Gabrud is, is interesting because he had a huge 2016, huge. I mean, that 67% completion percentage, you know, 48 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 2017 and 2018, he came back to earth. I mean, closer to 62% completion percentage, 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions in 2017. He got hurt in, in 2018 as well. Um, but it, it wasn't quite the same season. I I, I think people still sort of assume it's going to be Gabrud. I, I, Anthony Gordon had himself a heck of a spring game and had himself a heck of a spring overall. Um, he separated himself a bit from Tinsley. Uh, if Gabrud is going to like if he's if he is not the guy, I think it's Anthony Gordon at this point. But I think Gordon positioned himself that like if if people think highly enough of Gabrud and, and he shows up in, in uh, the fall camp, it's going to be him versus Gordon. Rick, your thoughts on Mike Leach. And he always he always like you know, he probably won't tell you until like a week before the season starts and all that stuff. But um I think he has some good options here. Plus, you have somebody like Gunnar Cruz, who certainly isn't going to play this year. But number 26 pro style quarterback, uh, it seems like people really like him. And then you have somebody like Cameron Cooper, who was a top 10 quarterback of 2018, who had offers from like Georgia and Tennessee and ASU and Ole Miss and all these programs. So uh, kind of a good spot to be in, right? Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, I think you look at Mike Leach and, and we kind of, we knew who Mike Leach was uh, even back in his Texas tech days and what he did with that program. But I think, um, last year was a whole new level. And in terms of what he did with Gardner Minshew and making him, um, you know, a quarterback that could not only read the field, but was accurate when, you know, he not, he wasn't necessarily that type of quarterback, 
uh, throughout his earlier in his career. So, um, you know, you can't ever count a Mike Leach offense and a Mike Leach quarterback out. And I think that he's got some great options. I mean, you've got a lot of seniority here um, and there's a lot to be, um, I guess, optimistic about. I guess my main concern is if you have Gabrud go ahead, going ahead and, and winning out, then you've got basically two redshirt seniors that don't necessarily have a ton of experience behind him. Um, and that would be a little bit concerning for me if I was Washington State um, based on the fact that, you know, you, you have a tendency to sometimes lose quarterbacks. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day in that spread, they should be they should hopefully be fine. I would say that um, something to kind of keep an eye on in, in terms of looking at this particular um, you know, group of five quarterbacks is, uh, you know, Gunnar Cruz, as you alluded to, I think is going to kind of be that future prospect for them. Um, they they were also hunting, you know, a couple big name quarterbacks um, that that actually um ended up, you know, committing elsewhere for 2019. Um, and so there's kind of a gap there. And in 2020, they got to kind of backfill that. So it'll be interesting to see what he does um, to kind of grow up Gunner, Gunner Cruz and Cameron Cooper to uh, get ready to start next year. But he's got some good quarterbacks that came in um, and uh, should be pretty interesting to see how they, uh, you know, kind of transform that offense um, and, and see if they miss a step early on or if they kind of just carry over the uh, success that they had last year. Hey, you made a good point on the experience with the red shirts seniors and stuff. I mean, obviously they've been in the program for a long time. The one thing uh, to keep in mind is that Mike Leach really trusts his quarterbacks. Like he does that thing where he just points us to his head, which is uh, the equivalent of saying like, I don't know, do whatever you want. Like it's fine, <laughs> which is really crazy uh, for a coach to do. So um, he does put a lot of, of trust and weight into the quarterbacks that he puts out there. And these guys really haven't seen the field, but um, it'll be interesting to see. But I, I, I do think Rob, like you mentioned, uh, Anthony Gordon had a really solid spring. It wasn't just a spring game, but like that whole spring, he was able to separate himself from Trey Tinsley and it seemed like they were stapled at the hip last year. So it's nice to kind of see things shake out. Uh, anything else, Rob on Washington state and where do you want to go after this? No, as, as long, as long as they can find the check down, Washington state will be fine. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the secret to the air raid, find the check down, especially if it's Max Borgie. Uh, who do you, so we got Cal, Oregon state and ASU. Should we, should we argue about Devin monster now or later? Let's do it. Let's do it now. Let's do it Let's now. Do it we don't want to end with a bang. <laughs> the cheese it cheese it bowl battle. Cheese it <laughs> man himself. Um, look, I think Ross Bowers is going to come back and take the job. No, I'm just kidding. He transferred to like Northern <laughs> Illinois. Uh, <laughs> so, so okay, hold it. I. Let's let's make Rick the uh, the arbiter or the arbiter the the, the man that that is looking at the judge Judy the moderator <laughs> the judge Judy <laughs> <laughs> the judge Judy of this podcast good call okay so um Devon Monster transfer from UCLA six two two fifteen hear me out Rick um, yes okay whatever fifty one completions seventy nine attempts he threw for sixty four percent. Completion rate, 671 yards, uh, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. I get it. I get it. But, Rob, did you watch him play against Kansas State in whatever god-awful bowl they were in? Like, did you did you physically, with your eyeballs, watch Devon Monster play football? Yes, I did. I watched that football game. It was terrible. Like, it was off. Like, I bet that was the biggest bet I had made all year. Oh, Josh Rosen isn't quarterback. Bah! <laughs> like, put the money. I don't even care who's playing for that. Like, you know, the, the, it's probably all junior college players from like Idaho that were on that, that Kansas State team. Um, but I just, I just didn't trust the offense 
with with Modster, and I just don't think he's going to take this job from Chase Garbers. I know that they brought him on so that they that he can challenge him, but I just think I don't know. I think Garbers certainly wasn't great. He made a lot of mistakes, but I I think that the offense slows down with Modster too. And and again, Cal's in that situation where you have Bull Baldwin as your offensive coordinator, and you have two quarterbacks that are going to make mistakes. Okay, first off. In that game, I would just like to point out that Devin Modster was not the problem. In that game that you specifically cited, Modster went 21 of 34 for 295 with two touchdowns and no interceptions. <laughs> the problem in that game was that uh, Bolo Olo Rufunmi, he of the he of the name, <laughs> uh, went for he was the leading rusher for UCLA in that game. He had 23 yards on 12 carries. Like the problem was not monster in that game. Uh, um, so he clearly did not jive with uh, Chip Kelly in Westwood um, and uh, transferred to Cal. I, uh, I, I like, I mean, monster's a big guy, big arm. Um, you know, I, I, I think that he obviously was a bit of a step down from Josh Rosen, but I don't think that that's too hard of a knock on a lot of people uh, as a quarterback in this league. So I, I, I like monster. I don't. And the other part of it is, is I mean, was 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 Garbers that good last season? I mean, of course not. This is one of the worst offenses in college football last season. So, uh, I, I, I at this point, like Garbers may win the job out. Like, I think this Cal offense is going to be bad enough that you're going to see quarterback rotation like they did last year. I mean, they played Brandon McElwain, who was a turnover <laughs> machine quite a bit last year. I mean, like, so like I, I. Monster will have a shot, I think, to come in and win the job. I, I think I think he's got enough talent and, and he's a smart enough quarterback, you know, with that completion percentage and, you know, the, the low interstate, you know, the no interceptions. I, I, I'd have faith in him to, to beat out Garbers. So, Rick, before before you jump in, I, I just so I read this article on Pacific Takes that was basically like quarterback battles, like what are they going to be? And it was before and after, right? It was you know sometime in February and then in May or something. And the one in February had listed Brandon McIlwain as you know should get a decent amount of playing time. I'm like <laughs> they're going to have to change that soon. <laughs> and he's not he's not on the roster anymore. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, what do you think? Man. I don't, you know, you look at this Cal quarterback battle and it's one of the most volatile in the Pac 12 this year. And, you know, either one of these guys goes down. I mean, it is a severely, severely one dimensional offense. And, and I, you know, I look at Patrick Laird and everything that he gave Cal last year. And, and I mean, you're talking about a 1,500 um, yard back um, two that, years ago. That, Two years, two ago. years. Sorry, two yeah. years ago. Yeah, that, but but still, you know, he had he had a solid season, um, you know, last year as well, and cut, covered up some of their deficiencies. And you know, when you got a stable of, of four backs now, that you're you're really kind of feeling out how that's going to go. And you know, I think that offensive line is still fairly good, but um, you know, you have to you have to have these guys make solid reads. And one thing that you could see with Chase Garbers last year is when he gets back in the pocket and he takes three or four seconds. Um, after that point in time, he makes the worst reads on the face <laughs> of the earth and then and inevitably finds a, a defensive secondary um, or a linebacking core to throw it to. And and, you know, you, you would think with Bo Baldwin being there, he would, you know, have brought these guys along a little bit more than they are. But, man, they just still make a ton of bad mistakes. And, and you know, Cal fans, you know, it, it could get really ugly if if, you know, you end up having one of these guys go down and the other has to kind of lead 
the ship. And I do agree with you guys. I think it's going to be quarterback by committee. I think they're going to have to figure out who has the hot hand and, and then kind of go, go from there. But, you know, luckily that defense, um, you know, while they've lost some guys, you know, still should be, should be pretty good. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, they can keep them in those games, but yeah, it'll be fascinating to see. I think Chase Garbers gets the start, um, but I would, I would estimate that he's probably got a quick hook and they throw Devin monster in there if they need to uh, pretty quickly. Monster is the winner. I'm the winner. America. <laughs> uh, well, let's go from Oregon state to let's go to ASU and close with the best quarterback in the history of man at Oregon state, Mr. Jake Luton. Um, ASU has a really compelling arc and uh, like story arc in regards to what they can be this year. Um, so I'm doing the ASU preview and I really like a lot of the pieces. I think the defense is going to be better and I realize they lose some pieces, but um, whether it's Merlin uh, Robertson or uh, just some of the defensive linemen that they have that actually can fill in for somebody like Randall, uh, I think it was Randall Wren uh, who had all the physical tools, but just didn't put it together. There was that one game against Michigan state where he like threw the guy back six feet, which was one of my favorite plays of the Pac-12 season last year. But that those moments weren't as um, often as a lot of ASU fans would have liked. Um, I think that the secondary comes together a little bit more. I like uh, Brandon Ayuk and I like the, obviously they have an awesome running back and, you know, Benjamin, it really comes down to the quarterback and Dylan Sterling Cole does not sound from any, any interview I've heard from, from this coaching staff or the previous coaching staff to be the guy at ASU. The problem is that really they're going to have to rely on somebody like Jaden Daniels, who is an awesome recruit is one of the best recruits. I think ASU has ever had a quarterback, um, three, uh, six, three, one eighty four star. He's a dual threat quarterback. Um, the number two dual threat quarterback in the country. It offers from Alabama and Ohio state and Georgia and Oregon and like basically everybody in division one football. Um, but that's still a lot of pressure to put on a kid, uh, as a true freshman at ASU. And I just don't know, Rob, where this quarterback battle goes because, um, Cole has been there for I mean, he's a redshirt junior. He's, he's seen the playbook and it just doesn't seem like the coaches trust him. But do you put the reins of a program like this is kind of a big season for Herb and his, his coaching staff, you know, for all of the accolades that they got last year, they were only seven. I think they were seven and five is how they finished the season. And uh, if they give it to Daniels, it might be worse than that this year, even though the rest of the team is good. Yeah, I'd be surprised if Daniels wins it out. Um, I think he's got a he's got a lot of talent. I watched um, I watched the Arizona State spring game, uh, and Sterling Cole seemed to have the best command of things. Daniels had some standout moments. He also had some big mistakes. Um, Joey Yellen and Ethan Long each had, each had their moments. I mean, Long certainly has a cannon of an arm, um, but I. I I still think that Sterling Cole probably wins it, you know, and 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 Jaden Daniels comes in. I mean, the other part about Daniels is he only weighs 180 pounds. Uh, I don't think that this offensive line was really good at, at run blocking last season. They were not great at pass blocking, and if if Daniels hangs in there like Manny Wilkins did and takes shots, he's not gonna he's not gonna make it through a season at that weight. Uh, so I I could see I could see them handing it off to Sterling Cole and bringing in Daniels as a change of pace. I, I just I I think at this point with what the Devils have coming in and progression wise that they're expecting on the defense. You have some decent pieces there with Kyle Williams and Ayuk, uh, a receiver, you know, Benjamin's back. A lot of the lines back like this, this is a season that to, to hope to make a little hay. So I, I'd be surprised if they turned it over to one of the true freshmen. Rick, does Joey Yellen step in quarterback from Michigan Vieja high school? Go Diablos come in three star <laughs> 22 quarterback in the 2019 class. 
offers from Georgia. He's still stuck with ASU. Does he come in and steal the job? <laughs> <laughs> what a lead up. Awesome. Um, guys, I, you know, it's funny. So, so I love Herm Edwards for a variety of things, but, um, he actually had a quote that, that basically was in the Arizona central, uh, newspaper when they finished up, which said, quote unquote, which said, I do not like Dylan Sterling Cole. That's what he said. Right? No, <laughs> no, actually it was even better. He goes, you see some bright spots. Then you see some, Oh no. And I think that kind of sums up this group, at least from what I've read and the research that I was doing. And, you know, you you you'd have to bank on Dylan Sterling Cole starting out when they uh, they open up their season. Um, and, you know, they're they're playing Kent State to start out with. So I think that's kind of that middle ground game where you go, OK, if he has a decent stat line, you kind of run with this guy and play it game to game. But, you know, the two kids behind him are, are very talented, had great, great offer sheets and. You know, it's kind of one of those things I think ASU is going to have to decide, which is can Dylan Sterling Cole be this guy for the next two years or do we take our lumps this year and put in Jaden Daniels or Joey Yellen um, and have them kind of, you know, take their lumps, but also learn on the fly um, and see if we can get them to improve so that they're ready to go for next year. I think the other thing that really, you know, for ASU, you know, they've got some decent receivers um, in that core, but losing a big target like in Keel Harry, who was such a big part of that offense offense, um, you know, outside of their, their great running game. Um, you know, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to kind of keep an eye on as well. And, and, you know, if they had some more, um, you know, solidified, uh, I, if they had a more solidified group, um, I think within that, then I would point to the fact that I think Dylan Sterling Cole would be, um, you know, would be, you know, I guess a little bit cushioned, but, um, when you've got such a great running game, um, that should help take some pressure off. And then, you know, you kind of point to the fact that, you know, since you have two redshirt freshmen or two true freshmen, excuse me, that, you know, it may just be time to throw those guys in there, let the running game kind of be the workhorse and then, you know, see if the receivers uh, can can click with one of those two guys and kind of move forward from there. I'm not as worried about Nikhil Harry. I really liked Brandon Ayuk and he came really came through at the end of the year. He, he I mean, his numbers are fine. Four hundred, you know, fifty yards, three touchdowns. But That's yeah. But Nikhil Harry, like for the talent that he was, and I understand, like he should be a number one draft pick. Uh, like he has the body. He's he was awesome. We really liked watching him play. Thousand yards, nine touchdowns. So, oh. I mean, I, and when you take a look at the the players behind him, whether it's like Frank Darby or um, uh, I forget the kid that got hurt. I'll, I'll come back and look. I think it was the tra- Texas transfer. But they have like three or four other options outside of Ayuk, and Ayuk has the size as well. So, um, it, I, there's no lack of targets at ASU. It's just whether or not anybody can hit them. Which, if you've been in an offense that, where the quarterback is a mess, it is just so frustrating to to watch like talent run all over the field and not get the ball. I don't know. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think that they've got some some pluses on this offense, but that's. I mean, I guess that's why I would probably lean towards Sterling Cole winning it. I mean, I think we're all sort of leaning that way, right? It's it's a little bit of a safer call. I mean, unless Daniels comes in and really just wows people, and I don't want to just write off, you know, yelling or long, but um, it seems like it's sort of down to like the Daniels has enough flashes versus you know, and Sterling Cole was you know a reasonably reasonably, I, I believe he was a four star recruit out of high school too. Um, he could, I think they go with Sterling Cole and and trust him to distribute the ball, um, and they probably do a little bit less. <clears throat> Last season they had the dominant running game. 
And then they they took a lot of deep shots. I mean, Manny Manny Wilkins was, you know, often required to sit in the pocket, hold the ball for a while while his receivers got down the field. Um, I would expect them to have a little bit, you know, build in a few more checkdowns, look a little bit less for the big play in the passing game um, than they did last season. You know, all of that could really help Sterling Cole or Jaden Daniels. Yeah, checkdowns, the Gardner Minshew spesh. Spesh, yeah. dude, right on. Got- Guys, one yeah. one more thing too, just to push back on both of you is that I think in Keel Harry um, drew a lot of double teams, and I think he That's really true. forced a lot of of defenses to shift towards him, which you know obviously helped out Ayub quite a bit. And so it'll be interesting to see now that you don't have that pressure coming from one guy, um, you know, to to see you know how that impacts those wide receivers where somebody has to step up and kind of be the big dog. So that's the only thing I'm going to push back on a little bit. That's fine. That's fine. That's fair. Um, okay. So let's get to Oregon state and Jake Luton, who is the most beautiful man alive. Uh, yes. six, seven, <laughs> two thirty. Richard senior, uh, <laughs> Mike Riley's gets fired from Nebraska. He, he serves as a, and I'm doing air quotes right now, offensive analyst for Oregon state, AKA I'm going to bring all of the players I recruited in Nebraska over to Oregon state for you. And Oh, by the way, you should run the ball more. Um, that's pretty much the role that he probably played. Um, so they go behind Jake Luton's back, a man that has given them his spine for the love of God. This is a guy that has laid it all out in the field. One of the most entertaining quarterbacks in the country. They get Tristan Jebia, who was a Nebraska transfer, lost his job to Adrian Martinez, he was the number 12 pro style quarterback of 2017, and he's going to come in and think that he's going to take this job from Jake Luton. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Jake Luton has this. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I mean, the, the conversation right now is that Luton's nailed it down in spring. Um, Gebby is a guy. I mean, Mike, speaking of Mike Riley, they just got a punter that transferred from Nebraska this past week at Oregon State. So literally, like Nebraska is pissed. Like that's an actual storyline where they are basically saying, hey, like you taking all of our players. That's kind of illegal. But uh, I guess it's legal. I mean, Mike Riley thought he was a nice guy, Rob. I guess not. Well, I'm I'm actually like I, I think. Did I think Nebraska may have like said that uh, accused Oregon State of tampering? Mike Riley is like like the a local celebrity in Corvallis. Like he used to ride his bike to and from work. Um, yeah, I, I I I think it's Luton at this point. Gebby is I think is going to sit uh, behind him uh, from everything we've heard. Yeah, I'd be I'd be surprised if it's not Luton. And, and Luton's a fun. He's a lot of fun. You know, big arm. Um, this, I mean, this offense made tremendous progress under Smith last season and whoever it is, they're going to have Jamar Jefferson to rely on, um, you know, and, and, and a stout running game. So I, 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 I like, I like Luton coming back a lot and he'll, he'll have some fun interceptions to go with this touchdown. <laughs> 1600 yards, 10 touchdowns, four interceptions in eight games. Um, I just like, I think it was the Nevada game where I forget who was throwing the ball around and then Luton came in and I just, I literally like turned off all of the other channels I was watching. Like Jake Luton is going to take this team to the promised land. Like I, I think he's so fun to watch. And when you, when you partner him, like you mentioned Rob with Jamar Jefferson, like that, that could be a really, really fun offense. The defense could be a total mess. Um, but offensively they could really move the ball around. Uh, you know, Rick, are you as, as big of a Luton fan as we are? Or what do you think? 
You know, I think for me, you know, just be, even though we live up here, I don't see a ton of Oregon State games because there's really not a reason to. Sorry, Oregon State fans. But um, that game against Ohio State where they were just throwing the ball all over the field um, and and, you know, he he did fairly well that first half, um, you know, against that defense. Um, I you know, I, I was really impressed. And, and, you know, there's there's absolutely no reason why you're not going to take basically a six year guy and start him, um, especially when in combination with that running game that I think is going to be pretty explosive explosive as well. So there should be a lot to be optimistic about, I think, if you're a Beavs fan. And, and you know, honestly, if Gevia gets in there, um, Jevia uh, gets in there, I think that there's a, an opportunity for him to grow and evolve and be the guy moving into next year um, when, uh, you know, and see if uh, Adian uh, Willard is going to, uh, you know, kind of challenge him as well. So I'd be interested to see how it plays out. But, um, you know, I think for Duck fans, where you know there there's hope to find optimism i think this is the year that you kind of find some optimism and go you know we could pick up a couple games where um you know we have you know jake luton at the helm um and you know allow our running game to kind of open up you know some of those uh you know those you know that offense that they're looking for so all right anything else that we should mention oregon state Jefferson wasn't the starter at the beginning of last season. It was Artivis Pierce who got hurt, and he's back. So they have a great one-two punch too. So Luton, Luton is uh, not going to have to carry much of the load like this this season. Nice, yeah, that that'll be really exciting. I hope he does though. I hope he does. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the Rogers brothers reincarnated, then, huh? Yeah, oh, yeah. Ooh, quiz. <laughs> yeah, quiz. All right, I'm in. James Rogers, very underrated. James Rogers, he was fun yes, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Okay, we're gonna try to get press credentials to uh, Pac-12 Media Day, so that that just you know keep that in mind. That that may or may not happen. We're not sure. We're not certain yet. But um, my entire, our entire, just so you all know, our entire goal at Pac-12 Media Day will be to get a Herm Edwards interview. Like there will be, like that. Like I don't care if I have to follow Herm Edwards around as his six foot seven shadow or six six shadow. Like I will do it. Like that's. <laughs> If we don't, yeah, if we don't get credentials, I'm just going to drink in the bar and Rob's going to yell in a bullhorn, like, please come over here, Michael Leach. It'd be really important for you to do that right now. <laughs> no, I'm I'm showing up with printed out charts. That's what I'm doing. Like, come talk. Come talk charts. <laughs> <laughs> Here's here is. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm excited. I, I want to ask him about the Loch Ness Monster. Like, what were his, what were the responses to his Loch Ness Monster uh, tweet? You know, there's just uh, important <laughs> the important mysteries of the Pac-12. Um, all right. Let's end it here. Thank you guys for coming on. Unless you have anything else to talk about. Any anything nope. good for the good for the good of the order? No, I'm good. No, we're good. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends. We will catch you next week.